Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. Uh, before we go any further, I just want a quick announcement to our listeners in North America that we have, uh, I'll be hosting KitCon North America. Uh, people might remember that KitCon is the conference that you and I first met at back in 2006, but we're hosting it in North America, hosted at Netflix in Los Gatos, February 3rd and 4th. Go look us up, KitCon conference. See you there. If for anybody who doesn't know, Los Gatos is in California. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> when you said you were hosting it, I thought maybe we were coming to your house, but um, uh, uh, yeah, coming to Netflix also sounds like it would be very exciting. Yeah, much, much more fun. So uh, in addition to that, I have something exciting to talk about today. Excellent. Tell us. <laughs> Which is that we want to talk about the value of being wrong and, and not just wrong, but kind of deliberately wrong. Uh, there's something uh, happening recently. Uh, we're in a, <clears throat> and my company, we're in an OKR planning process. And I've noticed a couple of people who are trying very hard not to be wrong. For and anybody who doesn't know, by the way, OKRs are goal setting. That's a goal setting process. Okay. So the, they want to get the right goals. They want to make sure they achieve them. That, that sounds like a good idea, Jeffrey. What, what am I missing there? Why, why shouldn't they do that? <laughs> Well, I think it's a, it's going to be a question of, of trade-offs is what we're going to get to here. And, um, and, and, and instead of embracing the idea there's trade-offs, like you, you're, you're willing to pay a certain amount to be a certain amount of correct, which also accepts a certain amount of wrong. And the idea of if you think you can't be wrong at all, uh, then that's going to be a problem. And uh, there's two different varieties that I'm running into. And um, one is the case of a manager who's trying to prevent uh, her developers from uh, making mistakes. So she's overlooking what they're doing and making sure that they they don't go down paths that she knows from experience uh, will be problematic. Hey, hey, that sounds like a good manager. I mean, what she's doing is saving the team from being inefficient. Well, it's you know the the, the thing about that is is it, it it prevents learning, and so that they get the experience of being told what to do but not the value of, of finding out what their original ideas would have yielded and ha getting an experience and then being better in the future. And that's, that's I think, the, 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 the thing that's going to tie these two stories together is, the one hand, preventing people from making mistakes. Uh, and then the other story I have is around a developer who is now involved in the planning process, and this is their first time really getting involved in the OKR planning, and they're trying very hard to make sure that all of the planning is correct, that all of the estimates that go into the capacity planning are correct, and that, that there's no mistakes made. And again, this is the idea that the mistakes are not allowable. He's kind of preventing his, his own learning and the learning of the group by, by trying to, to, to drive to uh, so much depth that that there's nothing left and, and so what he's what his experience is, is he's paying more than we really want to pay to get the answer his answer might be better than we would have had otherwise but it's kind of blowing the the planning budget if that makes sense but the, this commonality of trying to avoid mistakes but the impact it has on learning we would we, we'd, we'd be happy to go ahead and have less good answers to to get some result and then be able to look back later and find out specifically what we might do differently to be better in the future without having to drive everything to, to a perfect answer. Does, does that make sense to you? It, it certainly does, and I'm a, a big fan of it, despite my um, uh, facetious questions. The, the thing that I noticed there that I think might help listeners to understand why we're saying being wrong is a good idea is to distinguish sort of how wrong. 
So there are recent, <laughs> very public examples of things like uh, Southwest Airlines forgetting to put the planes in the right place, and um, uh, uh, Virgin uh, tried to launch a rocket, but they they forgot to turn it on. And you know, those those are the kind of things that uh, that that we would want to prevent, right? We want to prevent kind of disastrous outcomes that knock out the team or or lose us lots of money or cause massive outages. So it, when people are trying to prevent those kinds of errors, I think we would say, uh, go for it. That, that's, a, that's a great idea. But in this case, what we're doing is uh, a planning process, and the result of error is uh, we're late, or we built something that's slightly wrong, or um, we, we didn't understand and we have to do iteration 1.1. And the cost of those errors is much less than, um, uh, you know, Royal Mail here in the UK um, is not letting us send anything internationally um, because they've been hit by <laughs> ransomware, right? That's massive cost. This is, uh, compared to the outcome and the benefit of the learning, tiny cost. And it's not worth the energy and the time of that manager or that developer trying to prevent a tiny cost when, in fact, the benefit that you would get by incurring that cost massively outweighs it yeah that, that, that's right and i think and that's what we get to here is the the idea of, of trade-offs which i think is the the uh, judging trade-offs and choosing what trade-offs to take is the heart of our discipline it's the heart of being a professional it's the heart of engineering it's all about trade-offs and understand the trade-offs you're making and it can be easy to lose sight of that and be thinking a, a, about just being right. And there's a, I think there's a great temptation for that. And to use the experience and knowledge you have and thinking that being as correct as possible as is the best possible outcome. But but you and I have talked in different ways, and I think it's worth bringing up some examples. You know, I, I know from our experiences that that's not how we approach things, that we're willing to uh, go with imperfect uh, results that we think move us forward and, and actually, I think that's a lot of what happens with that is kind of the, the movement behind the, the agile software development in general was the idea of we're going to try something that's, that's not perfect, but it moves us along to get more learning that we then use and iterate. Which is why it's so ironic that the, that the developer in your, in your example is thinking about how can I get the estimates and the I suspect the story points and the, um, uh, the, the numbers that we use in agile software development right and um, that that is kind of missing the point. <laughs> Being that <laughs> level of accurate helps you about as much as knowing uh, pi to thirty-seven decimal places, which I happen to know. But you know, I could I could measure <laughs> the 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 diameter of the universe to within a, a millimeter using that many digits of pi. It just doesn't matter that much. Three point one four is all anybody really needs. And similarly. <laughs> Um, the level of accuracy that developer and that manager are trying to get to is far more than uh, is actually beneficial. Because we aren't about to launch a rocket. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not trying something that the results of which are catastrophic. And, yeah, so it's and our listeners who are building nuclear plants should, should turn off the podcast now, right? The, we're, <laughs> we're not talking about that. Yeah, use more digits. <laughs> That's fine for your context. And and what's interesting here in both of these cases, a lot of the the movement about trying to avoid being wrong is about other people as well. It's it's so it's not just their own behavior. They're looking at other people, trying to ensure that other people are doing the right thing to. Uh, avoid making mistakes. And that's causing some amount of friction because they're kind of pushing it. it well, in one case, it's the developer pushing on people to do what they think is right. In the case, it's the manager kind of telling her reports what to do or changing what they're doing to be right. 
they, they have very different interactions, but they're kind of similar in that looking at other people for errors. What, what reminded me of it, a very different approach that you took that we talk about uh, in our book, where you had some, got some people together and set a timer and said like, okay, when the timer goes off, we have our answer. Could, can you remind us about that story? It's very simple. We had a release process that wasn't working very well, and I got the team together for what you and I would call a joint design process. And uh, I said, uh, I'm setting this timer here. We're going to take 20 minutes. I've drawn the process on the board as I understand it. Uh, I have my eraser, or rubber as we'd say in Britain. Um, uh, I have that here, and I have my pen. And we're going to change the process as much as we can in this 20 minutes with as many ideas as we can. We won't get to everything. And whatever's on the board when the timer goes off is what we're going to use for the next two weeks. And we spent 20 minutes of vigorous, interesting debate. We uh, found out that I had drawn the process wrong, that there were people who weren't following it, and uh, there were steps that uh, only some people knew about. And we got a lot of those things, but certainly not all of them resolved in the 20 minutes. When the timer went off, I said to everybody, now look, we're going to go try this, like I said. No more debate and discussion about it right now. Let's learn from the process on the board, which must be better than what we started with 20 minutes ago. And uh, if this is absolutely terrible, uh, I will buy all of you a beer. Uh, and when I've done this many, many times, I've never had to buy anyone a beer. So the uh, uh, benefit was that we were able to make an incremental improvement with only 20 minutes of investment from the team. And that was our planning budget. That was how much we were willing to invest in making it better. And of course, a couple weeks later, we had some new ideas and we spent another 20 minutes. So this kind of iterative approach to improvement keeps you within your planning budget, keeps you within, uh, keeps you from having lengthy meetings in which you try to get uh, uh, the 7.26439 um, story points assigned to each, uh, each story and gets you on the road and trying things and learning from them. I love that story. And it, it's so explicit what your budget was. You know, you were going to spend so much time on it. And I think that's kind of a, applies at a much larger scale to the kind of OKR process we're doing, where we have a budget of a couple of weeks to kind of sort things out for the whole department for, you know, 100 developers that will affect, you know, 1000 people. It, it's, it's consequential what we're doing is we have a substantially larger budget than 20 minutes, but it is still a budget and it is still kind of a time box approach we're doing. And we accept that it'll be imperfect and it'll get better over time. Cause you know what, this is a quarterly process and we're going to have another quarter in just a couple of, you know, just two and a half months and we'll get to do this again and we'll get better over time. And we, we have, and for people who've been involved in the process, we can see the improvement. I think for people coming in though, uh, the first time there's some more anxiety about the cost of error and not understand that, that some amount of error is desirable. Uh, and that's, I think the idea that some amount of, of, of error, residual error, that's left over because you've spent your budget to get right enough is is actually a good thing and that's where you'll you'll have that learning in the future if you if you've driven out all the uncertainty you probably overpaid at one of the sessions uh, the free sessions i run for my community of, of tech and non-tech people um one of the the folks in the audience said yeah we have a failure budget we we look to have a certain <laughs> amount of failure and so uh, we always like to, to give symptoms and, and signals that listeners can use. So uh, one thing you can look for is set a, a level of failure you expect. And if there isn't that much failure, you can probably reduce the um, planning budget. You can probably make that smaller so that you can get to a certain level of failure. If you're doing it perfectly, that's probably bad. <laughs> um, another another symptom you might look out for is the friction you talked about, Jeffrey. So if, if you see that 
uh, people are saying, wait a minute, you're, you're um, taking too long with this, uh, you're, you're um, stepping on my toes, I'm not learning anything, um, that kind of friction is another signal that, hey, wait a minute, you might want to back off here. You might be uh, controlling the process too much and not allowing enough slack and error. Uh, and the third um, one, which is one of my favorite bugbears, is if anybody on your team talks about best practices or um, uh, trying to get the, 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 the best results, um, shut them down and, and don't let them use that word anymore. I don't let the people I'm coaching talk about best practices because there aren't any. There aren't any practices that are universally applicable. And often I find that folks like your developer who are um, trying to get that um, high level of control, that uh, make sure that there are no errors, they're, they're chasing um, a ghost. Uh, it doesn't really exist. Right. The, the thing that I find interesting about this is it's a, the kind of trap that well-motivated, experienced people can fall into kind of naturally because it seems like, well, better is better, isn't it? And it's just a, you know, a question of, I remember a phrase from many years ago, uh, talking to someone in a, in a, about a painting they were working on, and they said, art is knowing when to stop. <laughs> and I think that kind of applies to planning as well. That's an art that uh, many of our listeners will, will find that uh, is more difficult than you think it is. Uh, so if you're encountering any of these symptoms, if you're seeing that uh, you're challenged uh, in, in getting enough failure, uh, if uh, people in your team are, are trying to control too tightly, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, we'd love to hear what you think about that, what things you've tried, and what challenges you have. You can get in touch with us at agileconversations.com, where uh, there are free videos and our Twitter and email and lots of free material and all the back um, uh, episodes of the podcast and all kinds of cool stuff. By the way, the book is now in Korean and Chinese, believe it or not. So um, if, if you know Chinese, um, we'd like to hear, <laughs> has it been translated well? So uh, please uh, get in touch for that reason as well. And of course, another way to keep in touch with us is just to come back next Wednesday when we'll have another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.